I think, oh, we're live. Hello, everyone. Okay, so we're just going to wait a couple minutes. We did start a couple minutes early so that, oh, I have a terrible shadow situation happening. Um, wait a couple minutes. We want to get YouTube to send out the alert a little bit early. Um, so I'm just going to sit here and talk to myself for a couple seconds, let people hop on. I also don't want to start too early because then the people who came to see it will miss my lovely introduction, which will be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I want to sing or dance or something so that I can make this a little bit more interesting. Um, we should turn on the music, though, Jen, the one that you had going. I have a moose. I can make him go across the screen. He's the new mascot for my new computer. Uh, I know I've, the thing with the music is it's copyright. And YouTube gets really cranky about that. So Understandable. Understandable. I, I should get some open source music for next time. A little like intro tune with a hmm, just product talks. I would love that. I would love that. Goals. Actually, I'm going to put that on my to-do list. No, no promises for next month, but maybe in the future. I wouldn't even know how to put that in here, to be honest. Video is so not my thing. Um, all right. So it has been one whole minute of me trying to bide time. And apparently I'm really bad at it. Um, let me just tweet while I'm waiting. And hopefully... You can listen to me type. That's a great way to kill time. All right. I know uh, Jess will be joining us um, after this on the on the watching side. So she'll be here. We go. First viewers are coming in. Hello, everyone. Oh, the chat. Um, let me make sure you get the chat up so that if you have any. Oh, listening to myself. No. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to throw them in the chat. Say hi if you're already here. And I'll be sure to answer your questions at the very end. But if you are here, pop a hi in the chat. And if you can't chat, that's because you're not signed in. Um, so make sure you are signed into your Google account of whatever sort it is. Um, Google Hangouts, whatever you use to log into that, normally your email. Um, and that will let you participate in the live chat. So that's ready. We're ready. Uh, let's just get this thing started. So hey everyone, um, I have been rambling for the last three minutes. I'm Jen Vargas. I run Just Product, Just Product Jobs, the job board, and the Slack community. And today, we have our fourth installment of Just Product Talks. And we have Savitri, who has a really long last name that I promised her I wouldn't try and butcher. Um, Savitri is a product manager at Sauce Labs, and she runs their data and analytics and um, cloud platform. And she actually originally started as an engineer and transitioned to product. So she has all sorts of knowledge about the engineering side of things, the technical side of things, obviously, and the product side of things, and has been working on business models for her past companies in addition to at Sauce Labs. So she's about to download her whole brain into us for the next uh, 30 minutes or so, and then from there, we'll open up to Q&A. So if you have any questions while she's speaking, please throw them in the chat, and at the very end, we'll open up the questions and ask Savitri, and she'll give you responses. You can feel free to ask follow-ups in the chat. Um, you're 
make it your own. That chat is yours. And we will pop in. Um, I'll pop back in at the end to make sure that your questions get through. And that's about it. So um, sit back, relax, enjoy, and hear Sob 3. Thank you, Jen, for the lovely introduction. Actually, you didn't put your money. You did pretty well. So that's good. Success. <laughs> All right. Is everyone able to sh uh, see my screen? Perfect. Thank you. Uh, all right, so uh, today I'm going to be, hi everyone, uh, my name is Savitri uh, and I'm a product manager here at SAS Labs. I'm going to walk you guys through uh, how to build the right business model for product success uh, based on my own experiences, things that I've learned, uh, things uh, that went well, things that didn't go so well. So hopefully I'm able to share my experiences with you uh, to give you an idea of uh, some of some of the things that uh, you can uh, avoid, some of the mistakes you can avoid while building a business model. So um, a little bit about me, uh, I'm here at SAS Labs now, and as Jen mentioned, I was in engineering uh, tech lead before I moved over to the product side of things, and I lead vision and strategy for analytics and the cloud platforms here at SAS Labs. And I'm passionate about data, I'm passionate about building the right products, and I'm really, really passionate about giving users a fantastic experience. So a little bit of uh, what we are going to be doing uh, today. So I'm, I'm going to start off with uh, the importance of a business model and uh, why, why do we need to do it and what are the key factors that go into building a model. And, uh, uh, and, and towards the end, I'll walk you through a sample framework of how to actually incorporate the concepts uh, of the business model into uh, building your own product. And then we'll take in a Q&A in the very end. So what is a business model and uh, why do you need it when you build it? So when you have a new product idea, you want to make sure that uh, you put pen to paper and come up with a rough idea of what problem you're trying to solve and uh, what is the value proposition of the product and uh, why do you uh, care enough to invest in this product and uh, what revenue outcomes you expect out of the product and what targets you're trying to chase for the product. So it's supposed to answer a lot of future-facing questions. And doing this exercise will help you and your executives uh, of your company understand the value prop uh, of, of the new product idea that you're pitching uh, so all of you can uh, get aligned. There are a lot of different ways to uh, do it. You can start off with a simple business model canvas uh, to just, you know, make sure that your ideas are validated. That's one good place to start off with. And uh, and if you want to uh, take it into much more details than just a canvas, then uh, follow along and I'll walk you through some of the processes I've used. So uh, my experience primarily lies in uh, B2B SaaS uh, companies. So that's uh, most of most of what I'm going to be talking through today is uh, something that you can take back and use if you're in the same space. So what are the key decisions you're going to uh, make along the line? Let's start off with the value prop of the product. So one of the very first questions that you want to ask yourself while uh, building a product is, is there a real problem out there that my customers are facing or that my market is facing that they're willing to pay money for to solve the problem? So that, um, in a nutshell, summarizes the product idea that you have. 
uh, and uh, helps you zero in on the problem statement and uh, identify some of the highest value issues uh, that your customers face. So uh, going on into a little bit more tactical side of things, like how could you identify this? Hey, I have a brilliant idea and I now want to figure out like the top four or five features that my customers care about that are most critical uh, to them in solving this problem. So how do I go about solving them? Uh, so some of the techniques that I've used are obviously customer interviews. Uh, these ideas have come from customer conversations, uh, understanding their processes, understanding their workflows, understanding the n number of products that they interact with and how uh, your product actually fits into their complete workflow. That helps quite a bit. So customer interviews give you a really good understanding of uh, what what it is that uh, what it is that's currently uh, bugging them and uh, what it is that uh, that's uh, currently needs to be solved right away. What are some of the futuristic things that you can do along the way? So customer interviews are obviously the first places to start. And uh, once once you do enough customer interviews, you get a good hang of, uh, okay, so here's, here's what I think uh, uh, my customers are trying to solve and here's how I think I can solve it using this product. So once you're in that uh, position, I highly recommend uh, sending out customer surveys. Uh, so customer surveys uh, tend to be a little bit more directed, while uh, excuse me, while the customer interviews can be a lot more uh, open-ended. Uh, I would recommend customer surveys being very, uh, very, very specific and very, very uh, uh, as granular as possible for you to identify the top three features or the top five features that you're trying to implement uh, with your first release of the product. So that kind of helps you go from a you know very high level 10,000 feet view into the actual nitty gritties of the product that you're trying to build. So that's, that's a good starting point. And then the strategic fit. So uh, it depends if, if you are a new product person who's trying to uh, identify the market segment in a startup, start a company based on a product idea. Strategic fit is not something that you'd be worried about. But if you know, you're already in an organization that's trying to innovate at a rapid pace, you want to make sure that uh, the product ideas that you have validate the high level of strategies that, uh, that your company has. Um, and then, um, Who's the customer and uh, who's the end user? Uh, one 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 thing that uh, you definitely want to keep in mind while building a new product is uh, it's hard to uh, build a product for everyone out there, like hundred percent of your users, hundred percent of your customer base. So it's good to be clear about the market segment and the customers and the end users you're trying to target. And understanding that upfront and being transparent and open and uh, cool with that idea. And also understanding uh, whether this is going to be uh, sold, whether this product is going to solve the pain points of an existing customer base, or are you going to target a new segment altogether? Are you actually going to be uh, you know, doing an upsell based on this product? Uh, and so on. So it's, it's good to get those uh, thoughts upfront and it's good to think about it upfront. And eventually, everything ties back uh, to the revenue. You build product to generate more revenue for yourself and for your organization. So uh, re review your quarterly or your annual targets, or revenue targets for the company. Figure out how this new product idea could contribute to the revenue target or could actually in, uh, 
could could actually help you increase the revenue target so i think uh, nothing speaks better like a dollar figure so that's that's something to think about up front and again a lot of uh, b2b saas companies also tend to uh, package products into solutions uh, so the product idea that you might have would actually be part of one big solution that's being sold to customers so it's important to uh, also understand that call that out and uh, maybe see if your product actually fits into an existing solution or are you going to be creating a new set of solutions based on uh, this new product and kind of diverge a little bit on the segments uh, it's good to think about that as well up front and uh, come up with an idea on it competitive differentiation so this is something that uh, pms talk about a lot uh, and uh, we value this a lot we always talk about a competition where the market's heading where the competitors are heading and so on uh, but i think this is something uh, that we tend to do a little less of when uh, you know when we build business models so i just want to emphasize that this is something that uh, you definitely want to think about up front like uh, is this a product that your competitors already have which means you know this is this product helps you catch up with the rest of the market or with your competition and help you uh, reduce churn your customer churn uh, uh, going off to your competition or uh, you could do a quick uh, product swot analysis uh, and actually see where your products uh, weaknesses and opportunities are and uh, do the same for your competition and actually see if the new product ideas fall within you know the weaknesses and the opportunity areas so that you could improve on that uh and uh, definitely do think about deals uh, that have been lost to your competition and uh, customers who churned away uh, from your organization went to your competitors um, definitely take those into account while uh, thinking about the new product idea so moving on so by now hopefully when you have an idea you identified the value prop and you've also identified uh, how it makes a difference in the market segment that you're in So the next thing is to figure out uh you know how do we want to do this how do we want to uh add this functionality so different ways to go about it again and uh, one of the most common tendency or one of uh, the first things that we think about is we want to build it all uh, any new product idea we have we just want to go ahead build it and and you know get it done with and uh, and that's always not the right approach uh you might be successful doing that uh, may not be so successful in uh, at times so you definitely want to start considering uh, how to actually approach uh, this problem and how you want to solve it and at a high level you definitely want to think about uh, whether you want to build it whether you want to uh, acquire a new uh, company uh, to actually solve that particular problem or if you uh, want to partner with someone to solve that problem again the uh, again the competitive uh, advantage kind of helps you understand how your competitors are solving the problem if they already have and if not uh, if not uh, you definitely want to spend some time understanding what your core competencies are uh, and most of the organizations that uh, i've seen uh, try to build out their core competencies on their own and uh, you know partner or acquire uh, uh, inorganically grow a new product ideas uh, that that doesn't fit well with your core competency so it helps us helps them to expand rapidly and at a pace that they can sustain 
so, and if you're not very sure about going ahead and acquiring uh, acquiring another company that's already solving this problem, uh, partnership is a good way to like you know. Uh, Evaluate uh, or rather test the waters before you uh, invest in in a product opportunity. That's 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 how I would think about it. Uh, so uh, so focus on core competencies, uh, high level strategy, and uh, and use that to determine which way you want to go through building uh, your product. So while you process process all of these, uh, while you try to evaluate uh, every single uh, method, there are always going to be pros and cons. So I highly recommend uh, thinking about uh, some of the constraints uh, while uh, while actually coming up with the process strategy. For example, time to market uh, will is is always going to be crucial. Uh, you might want to uh, get 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 to the market with the product idea really fast. In which case, uh, acquisition or an inorganic or partnership and integrations would would actually let you uh, solve a problem really quick, really fast, and uh, get your end users with it. Uh, or this could be uh, this could be kind of uh, kind of you might already have you might have solved 50% of the problem already, which means there's there's very little work to be done in order to solve the problem so building building it might might probably be the way to go so time to market is an important factor you want to consider as well as the risks and uh, assumptions that you're making along uh, along that route uh, for example uh, you might not have all the other skills that you need uh, in order to build a product for example so that might uh, that might actually be an assumption and uh, or you might decide to you know uh, hire another team to focus on this product area exclusively so that's a risk because uh, time to market and uh, the revenue target and uh, and everything is pretty much dependent on uh, having the team up and running and for them to like you know build out on the mvp so that's that's again something you want to take into account uh, and then obviously uh, if you do decide to build it uh, highly recommend the 80/20 rule, uh, where 20% of your 20% uh, of the work can actually yield to uh, yield 80% of the impact that you're trying to create for your MVP at least. Um, it's it's worked in most of the cases, most of the MVPs that I've built, um, and uh, one of one of the things that uh, I've tried and I've uh, been successful at in identifying what those 20% of features are is this method called story mapping. Uh, where you actually go through the entire user workflow as stories that as a user I'm trying to do this and once I get here this is what I'm trying to do next and how do I get there and in the end what is the goal that I'm trying to solve for this particular user so uh, having that entire uh, of user flow mapped out uh, helps you and your team uh, get on the same page about the problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, gives very little room for errors uh, and uh, helps designers quite a bit when they're actually designing uh, the solution. So, uh, highly recommend uh, doing story mapping and impact mapping and actually allocating uh, features uh, to to some revenue impacts or to some targets or some KPIs that for an for example, uh, in order for a smooth onboarding experience, uh, this is the number one feature that I want to have, and uh, that should actually help me convert uh, eighty percent of the users who are trying to try out my product to like you know uh, to start using the product. So you want to uh, attach specific goals uh, through each of these workflows, and story mapping is highly effective to do that.
And then ROI, uh, the biggest question, right? So, uh, so three different uh, ways to go about it. You can uh, offer the product for free for a while, and you know, then make it premium, uh, or you know, uh, continue to provide something for free for a while, or uh, throughout its lifetime with a reduced set of features and so on. Um, one of the most successful models that the industry has seen, especially in the B two B, or rather even in the B two C SaaS space, is the freemium model. And uh, there have been disruptors to this model, so it's it's been tried and uh, tested. May not work for you and your product, but that's uh, that's one of the suggestions that I have. That if there's an opportunity to try a freemium model um, for your specific product and for your specific segment, I would highly recommend that. Uh, and the conversion rate for a freemium model kind of uh, varies uh, company by company and segment by segment. Uh, I've read that uh, you know it goes all the way from 0.5% uh, to about 8% on an average, uh, but there have been some huge disruptors to uh, that model. And uh, Spotify has about I think a 27% conversion rate in the premium model, and uh, Slack has about 30% conversion rate. So like they've disrupted the the market that they are in using the premium model. So if there is an opportunity for you to uh, have uh, the premium model in your uh, in your business plan, I think uh, that uh, can't get better than that. And then you also want to determine how you uh, how you would end up selling uh, the product that you want to build. So it could be self-service uh, into different pricing tiers or into different solution packages or the enterprise model where you have a whole sales team uh, selling it. So be cognizant of it and make uh, realistic targets based on uh, those approaches. And look at the conversion rate in your self-service plan and set up a revenue target based on that. And be iterative about your revenue target, right? Like that's one of the most important things that you want to think about. Like just like how you're building your product in iteration, like you're not going to build all all your features in one go, right? Like it's it's going to happen over a period of time. We want to do the same thing with your revenue target. Like it it cannot be I I can I'm going to get like hundred million dollars the day after I. Uh, you know, launch my product. So just just be a little cognizant of it, and iterate through your ROI and iterate through your revenue targets, similar to the way you iterate through your features. And while you consider your revenue model, uh, obviously take into account the cost structure that you have in place. Uh, there might be a lot of one-time costs and recurring costs. Be aware of it and account for it. Uh, you might want to hire more people, or uh, you know, you might need more hardware and infrastructure. So, buying a hardware and uh, a piece of infrastructure could could be a one-time cost, but maintaining it and supporting it over a period of time could could be a recurring cost. So, you want to take that into account on some of the trade-offs that you're making, and uh, training and getting the company, almost the entire company, onboarded with a new product, like that's expensive as well. Your support team uh, needs to understand how to support the product. Uh, if you have a sales team, they need to understand how to sell the product. Marketing needs to pitch the product right. So, like, there's a whole bunch of training that needs to go on for uh, your customers to adopt it uh, better. So, training training would become an important element as well. And uh, last but not the least, uh, definitely the the KPIs and the success criteria that you want to track against. So, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, definitely think about iterating over your 
ROI targets and uh, also think about a lot of factors that contribute into the revenue target, right? Uh, like for example, uh, be, be cognizant of the fact that, uh, you know, adoption rate is actually going to be key for you to like, you know, increase your conversion rate. For example, if 100 users adopt your product versus 1000 users adopting your product, the conversion rate, if it's going to remain the same, like say 20% or 30% or whatever, the number is going to be vastly different uh, depending on the adoption rate. So think about that up front and be realistic and iterative about it. And uh, I, I always love quantitative numbers. Anything that you can quantify uh, becomes easy to measure and becomes easy to review. And uh, the business model is something that you want to go back and iterate on uh, as much as you can. So you want to have something that's easily measurable and uh, that you review all the time. And uh, you can go back and modify it or, uh, you know, set better targets or, you know, establish more realistic numbers or even determine that, you know, the product's not doing as well as you thought it would, uh, you know. So the business model can be one of the key pieces for you to make all of these decisions and uh, evolve uh, the model as you go through this entire process, right? Like uh, you don't, you don't uh, have you can actually set iterative targets such as when I launch my MVP, uh, I'm going to have about 30% uh, of my user base adopting the product in the first month, uh, thereby, you know, uh, getting me to a revenue target of uh, X dollars. And in a couple of months, when I release the next couple of features, I'm going to have 20% more adoption and I'm going to be able to, you know, increase my revenue target by Y percentage or whatever. Uh, and also, uh, definitely throughout the lifetime of uh, of the product and of its usage, uh, make sure that uh, you're tracking the product usage and uh, you should, you at any point of time, the product manager uh, should be aware of how the users are using the product, uh, what are the key features that the users are using, uh, how often do they use it on a daily basis, uh, what is the life uh, what is what is the user flow of a particular user who comes to uh, a particular product? Uh, do they actually achieve uh, the goal that you actually set them out to achieve? Like, you know, if you go back and look at your story map, you would have had a particular user flow that says user starts at A and ends up at like, you know, um, Z. And uh, if the user does not go all the way to Z and stops midway, then uh, that's something that you want to understand uh, as to why the user ended up that way. And uh, what is it that actually left the uh, user flow incomplete or did, did we solve the problem halfway through already that, you know, he did not have to go all the way through Z. So understanding that and iterating over that is uh, going to be key. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of uh, analytics tools out there in the market that let you do it. Uh, some of the tools that I use are um, Mixpanel and uh, Google Analytics, and uh, they help me put together a good story of how users are consuming uh, my products. And uh, obviously, uh, I've also heard of uh, this product called Full Story that does a good job of tracking the user workflow through their lifetime. So review them often, measure them often, and uh, make data-driven decisions on what features are being used more, uh, what are the features you should continue to work on, continue to improve versus what are the features that probably are not receiving as much usage as you thought it would, that 
you might want to kill them for all you know so um, understand features you want to continue to support understand uh, features that you want to deprecate and keep iterating on that uh, to narrow down uh, on the initial story map you started with uh, and even validate if uh, that makes sense uh, based on the user interaction that you've seen within your product and uh, at the end of all of this, uh, if if you feel that uh, the adoption rate or the revenue targets are a little amiss to what you expected it to be, uh, always remember to listen to your customers. Go back out there, talk to them, and uh, figure out if there's there's a way that you can uh, do this better. And uh, if there's something that you missed through uh, the pain points that's that's causing these. And out of 10 times, it's most probably that. And listening to your customer would just get you back on track. And uh, I would highly recommend that you do this very iteratively and in a very small and frequent feedback loop. Uh, go out there. Uh, I've, in my personal experience, I've found uh, designs very helpful when uh, talking to customers. Show them a design that gets them talking, that gets them to understand the problem that you are helping them solve, uh, where they can actually give you a lot more feedback. Uh, so just go out there and talk to your customers. So now uh, to a sample framework of uh, how uh, you can actually build your business model. So we spoke about a lot of uh, interesting uh, considerations for you to make before you do build a business model. So I'm just uh, going to use that to create a simple business model to the popular alternative of uh, the lemonade stand. I'm going to call this the savvy chai truck. I want to. I live in the Bay Area and I work in San Francisco, so I'm going to set up a chai truck in uh, San Francisco. Uh, so what are the things that I want to consider? Uh, I want to consider what problem that I'm trying to solve. So just being very clear uh, of my problem area, trying to provide a refreshing uh, caffeinated drink for a late afternoon pick-me-up. So I'm being very clear that this truck is not going to be available at any other point of day, uh, but you know, at, at late afternoons. And uh, that's that's just going to be uh, the time that it's going to be available. And that's the kind of uh, uh, that's that's a time zone, or rather, that's the set of people uh, who need who need a caffeinated drink at that point of time of the day that I'm trying to cater to. And what's the value prop of having a chai truck? Uh, apart from the fact that it's fantastic, <laughs> uh, this fresh chai on the go, and uh, I'm definitely going to position it as cheaper than coffee. Uh, I'm going to make it a popular alternative to coffee uh, that that could uh, in some good coffee places end up being expensive so uh, so that's that's a big prop that I just want to get out there and talk about up front and it's a good coffee alternate a lot of people do not like uh, the bitter taste of coffee maybe or just the taste of coffee so chai is a good uh, caffeine alternate to coffee if folks want to consider that uh, and who are my target customers? Uh, they're going to be uh, any uh, pedestrian uh, around the area uh, who's stopping by for coffee. So right off the bat, I'm uh, I am excluding anyone who's driving by or uh, who's who's on a bus or anything, and just counting in all those people who are walking around the area. And uh, what's the process? I'm going to do the I'm going to make the chai myself and actually make good chai. Good chai made uh, and I'm going to blend it myself so what's my cost structure going to be like uh, uh, obviously the ingredients uh, that I have to buy to make chai uh, the milk the spice mix and so on 
the salaries uh, for anyone who's going to help me uh, sell my chai uh, it's going to be a little difficult for me to like you know make it and um, and sell it the other option that i would have is um, you know uh, have pre made chai uh, in in a thermos and you know like sell it right there but that that beats the fresh value prop that i have and i would uh, and i want my users to have a fresh chai experience uh, so i i want to you know make it on the fly and right there and have someone help me sell it and uh, obviously the equipment to you know uh, make chai uh, everything that i need starting off from uh, you know foaming my milk and so on and uh, the truck by itself and licensing it and the fuel costs that go with it that's 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 all going to add up to my cost so i'm going to set a revenue target uh, based on uh, based on what i hope to achieve on day 1 on uh, on week 1 week 2 month 1 and so on and i'm going to continuously uh, iterate on it and review it so um, my sources of revenue are going to be uh, price per chai obviously uh, as well as any tips that i would end up making on the chai so when would i call it a success if i do meet my revenue targets on uh, the time frames that i've set uh, starting from day 1 to week 1 to month 1 to quarter 1 like i want to review how i'm doing on a very very periodic basis and uh, if you notice i want to i've said that i want to delight customers and not have customer satisfaction the reason being it's a new product it's it's a new truck out there uh, looking to compete in the market so uh, i want to make sure that my customers have a fantastic chai experience that number one they actually become returning customers and uh, number two there's good word of mouth uh, there are good yelp reviews about the chai truck that actually get more and more customers so it actually benefits me in two ways uh, though it's kind of like a soft a uh, non measurable or non quantifiable target uh, i do have quantifiable targets that can indirectly uh, be uh, impacted with a delightful customer experience which is i get more returning customers which means uh, i'm i'm always going to have a continuous uh, revenue stream from those returning customers and i'm uh, and it helps me uh, achieve my revenue target and it helps me be realistic about the revenue targets that i can set and eventually how does this all tie into my long term vision uh, i i would love to have a quick bites uh, fusion food casual dining place so chai is a good place for me to start and this one's going to be on the go but uh, also helps me um, uh, offer catering services and i can expand to you know more food truck locations starting off with chai and moving on to a lot of quick bites or a casual casual sit down place so pretty much going from a simple problem statement of what i'm trying to do all the way into how it ties into my long term vision and strategy and through this process things that you want to iterate on things that you want to like continuously improve on and measure on uh, would would help you get a good uh, head start on on your business model so uh, some of the things that uh, i've used uh, for this uh, for this Uh, presentation uh, i love the harvard business reviews uh, business models uh, i think they have a fantastic model and uh, a fantastic canvas uh, that's something that uh, everyone out there in the industry is using and that's that's a model uh, i followed as well while building the business model so that's something to check out uh, some of the tools uh, for business models there are a bunch of tools that actually uh, give you the same layout uh for for a standard business model and uh canvanizer is 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 a cool tool uh that i liked i've not used any of them 
I generally put pen to paper to get like an initial layout and an initial set of ideas when I start building my business model. And then I tend to usually go into uh, a lot of documentation, spend a lot of time on spreadsheets, uh, understanding the revenue uh, targets and uh, coming up with the numbers. And uh, we also at uh, Sauce use AHA to, you know, understand uh, ideas and uh, understand how there are uh, opportunities or uh, revenue uh, uh, opportunities associated with uh, specific product features so you know it uh, helps you get data from a lot of different places uh, and if you use Salesforce or uh, uh, Salesforce to you know keep keep track of um, your customers and uh, and everything to do with it and uh, your accounts and stuff like that uh, helps you you know understand uh, what's at stake helps you understand the importance of a particular product or a new feature idea that you have and uh, helps you tie it in into your uh, revenue targets and helps you iterate uh, planning your release on uh, on how how this this a revenue impact with every release that you have and uh, how you can use it on a day-to-day -day basis so that is all that i had uh, thank you everyone for tuning in and listening in and i'm going to turn it over to jen uh, for any questions. Oh dear. Oh have, dear. I have. Hang on. Hang on. And I'm echoing. And I'm echoing. Okay. Test. Okay. I fixed it. Um, let me just deal with my stripes. And that was awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I like seriously want to try now and I really hope that you do make that truck because it sounds amazing and I hope you get to the point of quick bites and all of that sort of stuff because I will fly out to San Francisco just for that. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. <laughs> um, all right, so as far as Q&A goes, um, I'm just going to kick it off here and anyone who's watching, again, feel free to throw your questions in the chat and I will ask them here for Savi to answer. Um, so. I guess one of my first questions is around the line between product and business or who your partners might be or should be in the process of defining the model for a particular product. Like, let's say you're at a bigger company and you're responsible for a smaller product within that. Who do you work with? How do you define that? How do you sort of scope that piece of work relative to all the other sort of product work you might do? Um, Jen, is it specific to uh, finding partners in the area that you want to work with, or is it in, uh, in I think more in your organization itself, like who would be your stakeholders or your partners in your organization? Like is there, do you work with BI, do you work with the CEO directly, who do you generally bring generally in bring process? process? Um, so in, in general, I'm a big believer of the fact that uh, the product manager is at the center of the, uh, center of the entire cross-functional team. So I tend to work across the entire breadth of cross-functional teams, like across marketing, sales, sales engineering, support, customer success. And uh, a lot of times, a lot of interesting ideas have actually been pitched by uh, these folks who are out there in the field talking to customers on a daily basis, but they've brought me in on conversations and I was like, yes, that's that's a great idea and we should go ahead and do that. So uh, a lot of ideas have sprung from that. And uh, I, I usually have my go-to people across all these organizations to uh, help me understand the problems better. I think you're muted, Jen. Okay, Google was telling me that as I was talking. Like, well, if it's a pop-up, I'm ignoring it. 
Um, okay, so a question from Jessica Ellis. I'd love to hear more about subscription versus single serve models. Is there another way to evaluate beyond SWOT and customer interviews? Uh, about which way you want to go, about whether you want to go on uh, on an enterprise model versus a single serve, uh, like a subscription or self-service model. That's a good question. Um, that's a good question. So I would uh, definitely think about the kind of uh, the kind of uh, market that you're serving to. Uh, like if if you're actually servicing to uh, single users versus uh, enterprises, and uh, how big are these enterprises, and uh, how big does uh, support turn out to be when actually supporting these kind of enterprises, and how many unique uh, customer deals that you end up having. Uh, that kind of uh, you know, uh, changes the scales uh, one way or the other. Uh, and then the other thing that I would definitely go out there and look at is uh, some of your competition or maybe even partners who are kind of dealing with similar problems in the similar space. Uh, try to learn something from their successes and failures and uh, use that to determine uh, which, which way to go. Thanks. Okay, Jessica, if you have any follow-ups to that or you want to get more specific, uh, throw it in the chat. Meanwhile, I'm going to ask um, about the subscription and single serve models, let's say subscription, actually either of them pricing is a really complicated part of it. Do you have any sort of tools that you use or, or heuristics that you use to evaluate, like how do you determine your sort of center price point and then the price points around it? Uh, not, not really, there's no specific uh, tool that I've used. Uh, in the, in the past, I've actually definitely gone in and looked at a lot of uh, competitive pricing and uh, actually solution packaging. Uh, in in most of the places that I've worked with, we have this uh, we have this model of packaging products into solutions. So solution pricing becomes uh, very important uh, once you start building out a business model. So. Uh, definitely gone out there and looked at a lot of uh, vendors in the similar space, like not just, you know, your direct competitors or your direct partners, but looking at vendors in the similar space uh, kind of helps you understand the price point that you want to focus on. Cool. Um, do you have any sort of favorite metrics that you lean on for determining the success of, let's say, a particular business model that you went with like do you sort of have okay i'm going with you know a subscription model what are the key things i'm going to look at versus i'm going for a single serve model what are the key things I'm looking at? i imagine like churn and those sorts of things are involved i'd love to hear your list your list sure uh so adoption rate is uh something that i'm very uh very freakishly uh obsessed with so adoption rate definitely uh, what else? Adoption rate is something, and the amount of time spent uh, in the product, that's something that I look at. So uh, adoption rate, uh, one-time users, recurring users, and the amount of time they spend in the product, uh, they've, they've all been key for me to understand how my customers are using uh, the product, definitely. And uh, I work in a B2B SaaS enterprise, and uh, we have our own uh, sales here. So some of the factors that have in the past uh, taken into account in my previous experiences is also uh, reducing churn where uh, this product line is you know part of a big solution that's that's you know uh, that could help potentially reduce churn so reducing churn percentage due to uh, an incremental product release or uh, due to a new feature within the product uh, they've they've all been key uh, but but more or less um, i think uh, working towards revenue targets i think that's that's the easiest way to go about it in my opinion are there any 
business models you would like to experiment with but haven't had the chance to yet yet um, I think I would uh, definitely love to experiment more with the self-service model, but uh, that's not something that I've uh, that I've had the opportunity of exper uh, experimenting much more. I think you get a lot more opportunities to do that in a B two C space, uh, you know, where most products tend to be uh, self-service. Uh, I think it. Uh, I think this this it becomes more data driven and it becomes more easier to capture data in a self-service model so that's something that i would love to experiment with sweet um you mentioned mixed panel and google analytics and um full story are i do you use things do you uh typically send your data to like segment or something and then send it out or is it like what's your analytics stack i suppose i suppose uh i primarily actually go check out uh what features within uh the product actually are being used more uh that's something that i definitely check out uh and i use mix panel for that uh in understanding what even triggers are actually being uh triggered more often and how often in a particular day like is there a point of time uh, over a week where one particular even caught a lot of attention uh, that's that's something that i look for like if there are any trends around that uh, and uh, every time i do that i always tend to go back to google analytics to see how uh, how the user arrived at this particular uh, page and uh, what what was the full picture around the user flow like uh, how does he tend to uh, go off from this page where does he end does he drop off which is not a great metric like does he Go go to the next page and and stuff like that. So I actually tend to uh, go between the both of them uh, all the time. Nice. Um, Jessica has another question about uh, business model timing and the different and how different product successes have different timelines. So how do you evaluate the mix of short term versus long term impact? Um, so. So long-term impact is kind of a little tougher, and uh, I think it's bound to get iterative. Like uh, you can definitely, uh, it's it's hard to say. You know, you're going to make, you're going to hit this revenue target within two years or three years because as the timeline increases, it's just going to get more and more and more difficult. So I would actually, uh, uh, in the past, what I've done specifically is uh, uh, when when you when you have the practice of writing PRDs, it's uh, easier to actually call out uh, features that you want included in your MVP. And the target uh, market, or rather the target set of users, uh, you have like, if you have about 100 users using your product, there's, there's a particular set of users who are gonna be super thrilled about the first MVP release that you have. And uh, what's what's the dollar value that you can uh, attach to those set of users and to that market segment uh, for MVP? Uh, that's, that's, I think, one of the easiest and uh, call you can make and that's the first call that you should be making and uh, then you start uh, trying to follow that model for like a, about two or three releases out from there and beyond that things start getting a, uh, a little bit more and more hazy because if you decide to kind of pivot directions uh, none of those numbers hold true anymore uh, you want to recalculate your numbers so anything beyond like uh, you know two or three releases out starts getting really really hazy so so short-term short -term targets, MVP targets, uh, those those are the most realistic numbers that, uh, that that help you understand your targets, yeah. Awesome, Jessica, if you have, if that answered your question, um, just let me know if it didn't. Uh, it, I didn't, it, it was came in a bunch of pieces, so I might not have asked it correctly, to be honest. 
I kind of read them all together, so hopefully that covered it. Um, but Jessica, feel free to follow up. And I know there's um, a couple others of you over there in chat land. So if you have any other questions, um, last call. And I will just ask, oh, we got a great from Jessica. That answered her question. Awesome. So if you have, yeah, last chance to ask any questions. And uh, I know Savvy has, it's the middle of the day there in San Francisco. So she actually has to get back to work. Um, but we're super happy to have her. Thank you so much for taking the time out of the middle of your day. Um, hopefully your chai truck will come in the near future. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Thank I'm you, anything else. Thank you, Jen. It was super fun talking about it and just, you know, putting together ideas around it. Um, was was awesome coming here and talking about it. Thank you. Awesome. And if awesome. anyone, if anyone Ooh. hold on, I can hear hold myself. On. I can hear myself. I apologize. I lost my headphones this week. Um, if anyone has follow-up questions, I know a lot of people watch this in um, replay once it goes up on YouTube and on the website. If you have any questions, uh, Savi is in Slack. So if you're not in the Just Product Slack, you can uh, join. Just go to justproduct.co and you'll be able to apply for the Slack. And Savi will be there. Usually we answer and talk about the talks in the water cooler. So join us there. And if you don't already get the Just Product Weekly, We'll be announcing our next talks, I think, through September uh, shortly. So be sure to get on the email list. That's also at JustProduct.co. So stay tuned. And thank you to Savi. Thank you to everyone who came. Thank you to everyone who will be watching in replay. And we will see you next month. Thank Bye. you. Bye. I think, oh, we're live. Hello, everyone. OK, so we're just going to wait a couple minutes. We did start a couple minutes early so that, oh, I have a terrible shadow situation happening. Um, wait a couple minutes. We wanted to get YouTube to send out the alert a little bit early. Um, so I'm just going to sit here and talk to myself for a couple seconds, let people hop on. I also don't want to start too early because then the people who came to see it will miss my lovely introduction, which will be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I should like sing or dance or something so that I can make this a little bit more interesting. Um, we should turn on the music, though, Jen, the one that you had going. I have a moose. I can make him go across the screen. He's the new mascot for my new computer. Uh, I know. I've, the thing with the music is it's copyright. And YouTube gets really cranky about that. So Understandable. Understandable. I should get some open source music for next time. A little like intro tune with a hmm, just product talks. I would love that. I would love that. Goals. Actually, I'm going to put that on my to-do list. No, no promises for next month, but maybe in the future. I wouldn't even know how to put that in here, to be honest. Video is so not my thing. Um, all right. So it has been one whole minute of me trying to bide time. And apparently I'm really bad at it. Um, let me just tweet while I'm waiting and hopefully you can listen to me type. That's a great way to kill time. All right. I know uh, Jess will be joining us um, after this on the on the watching side, so she'll be here. We go. First viewers are coming in. Hello, everyone. Oh, the chat. 
Um, let me make sure I get the chat up so that if you have any, oh, listening to myself, no. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to throw them in the chat. Say hi if you're already here, and I'll be sure to answer your questions at the very end. But if you are here, pop a hi in the chat, and if you can't chat, that's because you're not signed in. Um, so make sure you are signed into your Google account of whatever sort it is, um, Google Hangouts, whatever you use to log into that, normally your email, um, and that will let you participate in the live chat. So that's ready. We're ready. Uh, let's just get this thing started. So hey, everyone. Um, I have been rambling for the last three minutes. I'm Jen Vargas. I run Just Product, Just Product Jobs, the job board, and the Slack community. And today, we have our fourth installment of Just Product Talks. And we have Salvatri, who has a really long last name that I promised her I wouldn't try and butcher. Um, Salvatri is a product manager at Sauce Labs, and she runs their data and analytics and um, cloud platform. And she actually originally started as an engineer and transitioned to product. So she has all sorts of knowledge about the engineering side of things, the technical side of things, obviously, and the product side of things, and has been working on business models for her past companies in addition to at Sauce Lab. So she's about to download her whole brain into us for the next uh, 30 minutes or so. And then from there, we'll open up to Q&A. So if you have any questions while she's speaking, please throw them in the chat. And at the very end, we'll open up the questions and ask Savitri, and she'll give you responses. You can feel free to ask follow-ups in the chat. Um, make it your own. That chat is yours. And we will pop in. Um, I'll pop back in at the end to make sure that your questions get through. And that's about it. So um, sit back, relax, enjoy, and hear Salt 3. Thank you, Jen, for the lovely introduction. Actually, you didn't put your name. You did pretty well. So that's good. Success. <laughs> All right, is everyone able to uh, see my screen? Perfect. Thank you. Uh, all right, so uh, today I'm going to be, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Savitri, uh, and I'm a product manager here at Sauce Labs. I'm going to walk you guys through uh, how to build the right business model for product success uh, based on my own experiences, things that I've learned, uh, things uh, that went well, things that didn't go so well. So hopefully I'm able to share my experiences with you uh, to give you an idea of uh, some of some of the things that uh, you can uh, avoid, some of the mistakes you can avoid while building a business model. So um, a little bit about me, uh, I'm here at Toss Labs now, and as Jen mentioned, I was in engineering uh, tech lead before I moved over to the product side of things, and I lead vision and strategy for analytics and the cloud platforms here at Toss Labs. And I'm passionate about data, I'm passionate about building the right products, and I'm really, really passionate about giving users a fantastic experience. So a little bit of uh, what we are going to be doing uh, today. So I'm, I'm going to start off with uh, the importance of a business model and uh, why, why do we need to do it and what are the key factors that go into building a model. And, uh, uh, and, and towards the end, I'll walk you through a sample framework of how to actually incorporate the concepts uh, of the business model into uh, building your own product. And then we'll take a Q&A in the very end. So what is a business model and uh, why do you need it, when do you build it? So when you have a new 
product idea, you want to make sure that uh, you put pen to paper and come up with a rough idea of what problem you're trying to solve and uh, what is the value proposition of the product and uh, why do you uh, care enough to invest in this product and uh, what revenue outcomes you expect out of the product and what targets you're trying to chase for the product. So it's supposed to answer a lot of future facing questions and doing this exercise will help you and your executives uh, of your company understand the value prop uh, of, of the new product idea that you're pitching. And so all of you can uh, get aligned. There are a lot of different ways to uh, do it. You can start off with a simple business model canvas uh, to just, you know, make sure that your ideas are validated. That's one good place to start off with. And, uh, and if you want to uh, take it into much more details than just a canvas, then, uh, follow along and I'll walk you through some of the processes I've used. So uh, my experience primarily lies in uh, B2B SaaS uh, companies. So that's uh, most of most of what I'm going to be talking through today is uh, something that you can take back and use if you're in the same space. So what are the key decisions you're going to uh, make along the line? Let's start off with the value prop of the product. So one of the very first questions that you want to ask yourself while uh, building a product is, is there a real problem out there that my customers are facing or that my market is facing that they're willing to pay money for to solve the problem? So that, um, in a nutshell, summarizes the product idea that you have uh, and uh, helps you zero in on the problem statement and uh, identify some of the highest value issues uh, that your customers face. So uh, going on into a little bit more tactical side of things, like how could you identify this? Hey, I have a brilliant idea and I now want to figure out like the top four or five features that my customers care about that are most critical uh, to them in solving this problem. So how do I go about solving them? Uh, so some of the techniques that I've used are obviously customer interviews. Uh, these ideas have come from customer conversations, uh, understanding their processes, understanding their workflows, understanding the n number of products that they interact with and how uh, your product actually fits into their complete workflow. That helps quite a bit. So customer interviews give you a really good understanding of uh, what what it is that uh, what it is that's currently uh, bugging them and uh, what it is that uh, that's uh, currently needs to be solved right away. What are some of the futuristic things that you can do along the way? So customer interviews are obviously the first places to start. And uh, once once you do enough customer interviews, you get a good hang of, uh, okay, so here's, here's what I think uh, uh, my customers are trying to solve and here's how I think I can solve it using this product. So once you're in that uh, position, I highly recommend uh, sending out customer surveys. Uh, so customer surveys uh, tend to be a little bit more directed, while uh, excuse me, while the customer interviews can be a lot more uh, open-ended. Uh, I would recommend customer surveys being very, uh, very, very specific and very, very uh, uh, as granular as possible. For you to identify the top three features or the top five features that you're trying to implement uh, with your first release of the product. So that kind of helps you go from a you know very high level 10,000 feet view into the actual nitty gritties of the product that you're trying to build. So that's, that's a good starting point. And then the strategic fit. 
So uh, it depends if if you are a new product person who's trying to uh, identify the market segment in a startup startup company based on a product idea. Strategic fit is not something that you'd be worried about. But if you know you're already in an organization that's trying to innovate at a rapid pace, you want to make sure that uh, the product ideas that you have validate the high level uh, strategies that uh, that your company has. Um, and then. Um, Who's the customer and uh, who's the end user? Uh, one 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 thing that uh, you definitely want to keep in mind while building a new product is uh, it's hard to uh, build a product for everyone out there, like hundred percent of your users, hundred percent of your customer base. So it's good to be clear about the market segment and the customers and the end users you're trying to target. And understanding that upfront and being transparent and open and uh, cool with that idea. And also understanding uh, whether this is going to be uh, sold, whether this product is going to solve the pain points of an existing customer base, or are you going to target a new segment altogether? Are you actually going to be, uh, you know, doing an upsell based on this product, uh, and so on. So it's, it's good to get those uh, thoughts upfront and it's good to think about it upfront. And eventually, everything ties back uh, to the revenue. You build product to generate more revenue for yourself and for your organization. So uh, re review your quarterly or your annual targets, or revenue targets for the company. Figure out how this new product idea could contribute to the revenue target or could actually in uh, could could actually help you increase the revenue target. So I think uh, nothing speaks better like a dollar figure. So that's that's something to think about upfront. And again. A lot of uh, B2B SaaS companies also tend to uh, package products into solutions. Uh, so the product idea that you might have would actually be part of one big solution that's being sold to customers. So it's important to uh, also understand that, call that out, and uh, maybe see if your product actually fits into an existing solution or are you going to be creating a new set of solutions based on uh, this new product and kind of diverge a little bit on the segments. Uh, it's good to think about that as well up front and uh, come up with an idea on it. Competitive differentiation. So this is something that uh, PMs talk about a lot, uh, and uh, we value this a lot. We always talk about a competition, where the market's heading, where our competitors are heading, and so on. Uh, but I think this is something uh, that we tend to do a little less of when uh, you know when we build business models. So I just want to emphasize that this is something that uh, you definitely want to think about upfront. Like, uh, is this a product that your competitors already have? Which means, you know, this is this product helps you catch up with the rest of the market or with your competition and help you uh, reduce churn, your customer churn uh, uh, going off to your competition. Or uh, you could do a quick uh, product SWOT analysis uh, and actually see where your products uh, weaknesses and opportunities are and uh, do the same for your competition and actually see if the new product ideas fall within you know the weaknesses and the opportunity areas so that you could improve on that uh, and uh, definitely do think about deals uh, that have been lost to your competition and uh, customers who churned away uh, from your organization went to your competitors um, definitely take those into account while uh, thinking about the new product idea So moving on, so by now, hopefully, when you have an idea, you've identified the value prop, 
And you've also identified uh, how it makes a difference in the market segment that you're in. So the next thing is to figure out, uh, you know, how do we want to do this? How do we want to uh, add this functionality? So different ways to go about it again. And uh, one of the most common tendencies, or one of uh, the first things that we think about is we want to build it all. Uh, any new product idea we have, we just want to go ahead, build it, and and you know get it done with. And uh, and that's always not the right approach. Uh, you might be successful doing that, uh, may not be so successful in a, uh, at times. So you definitely want to start considering uh, how to actually approach uh, this problem and how you want to solve it. And at a high level, you definitely want to think about uh, whether you want to build it, whether you want to uh, acquire a new uh, company uh, to actually solve that particular problem, or if you uh, want to partner with someone to solve that problem. Again, the uh, again the competitive uh, advantage kind of helps you understand how your competitors are solving the problem if they already have, and if not, uh, if not, uh, you definitely want to spend some time understanding what your core competencies are. Uh, and most of the organizations that uh, I've seen uh, try to build out their core competencies on their own and uh, you know partner or acquire uh, uh, inorganically grow uh, new product ideas uh, that that doesn't fit well with your core competencies. So it helps us helps them to expand rapidly and at a pace that they can sustain. Uh, so, and if you're not very sure about going ahead and acquiring uh, acquiring another company that's already solving this problem, uh, partnership is a good way to, like, you know, uh, evaluate uh, or rather test the waters before you uh, invest in in a product opportunity. That's 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 how I would think about it. Uh, so. Uh, so focus on core competencies, uh, high level strategy, and uh, and use that to determine which way you want to go through building uh, your product. So while you process process all of these, uh, while you try to evaluate uh, every single uh, method, there are always going to be pros and cons. So I highly recommend uh, thinking about uh, some of the constraints uh, while uh, while actually coming up with the process strategy. For example, time to market uh, will is is always going to be crucial. Uh, you might want to uh, get 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 to the market with the product idea really fast. In which case, uh, acquisition or an inorganic or partnership and integrations would would actually let you uh, solve a problem really quick, really fast, and uh, get your end users with it. Uh, or this could be uh, this could be kind of uh, kind of you might already have. You might have solved 50% of the problem already, which means there's there's very little work to be done in order to solve the problem. So building building it might might probably be the way to go. So time to market is an important factor you want to consider, as well as the risks and uh, assumptions that you're making along uh, along that route. Uh, for example, uh, you might not have all the other skills that you need uh, in order to build a product. For example, so that might uh, that might actually be an assumption. And uh, or you might decide to you know uh, hire another team to focus on this product area exclusively. So that's a risk because uh, time to market and uh, the revenue target and uh, and everything is pretty much dependent on uh, having the team up and running and for them to like you know build out on the MVP. So that's that's again something you want to take into account. Uh, and then obviously uh, if you do decide to build it. Uh, 
uh, highly recommend the 80-20 rule uh, where 20% of your uh, 20% of the work can actually yield to uh, yield 80% of the impact that you're trying to create for your MVP at least. Um, it's it's worked in most of the cases, most of the MVPs that I've built. Um, and uh, one of one of the things that uh, I've tried and I've uh, been successful at in identifying what those 20% of features are is this method called story mapping. Uh, where you actually go through the entire user workflow as stories that as a user I'm trying to do this and once I get here this is what I'm trying to do next and how do I get there and in the end what is the goal that I'm trying to solve for this particular user. So uh, having that entire uh, of user flow mapped out uh, helps you and your team uh, get on the same page about the problem that you're trying to solve, uh, gives very little room for errors, uh, and uh, helps designers quite a bit when they're actually designing uh, the solution. So uh, highly recommend uh, doing story mapping and impact mapping, and actually allocating uh, features uh, to to some revenue impacts or to some targets or some KPIs that for an for example, uh, in order for a smooth onboarding experience, uh, this is the number one feature that I want to have and uh, that should actually help me convert uh, eighty percent of the users who are trying to try out my product to like you know uh, to start using the product. So you want to uh, attach specific goals uh, through each of these workflows and story mapping is highly effective to do that. And then ROI, uh, the biggest question, right? So, uh, so three different uh, ways to go about it. You can uh, offer the product for free for a while, and you know, then make it premium, uh, or you know, uh, continue to provide something for free for a while, or uh, throughout its lifetime with reduced set of features and so on. Um, one of the most successful models that the industry has seen, especially in the B2B uh, or rather even in the B2C SaaS space is the freemium model. And uh, there have been disruptors to this model. So it's it's been tried and uh, tested. may not work for you and your product, but that's, uh, that's one of the suggestions that I have, that if there's an opportunity to try a freemium model um, for your specific product and for your specific segment, I would highly recommend that. Uh, and the conversion rate for a uh, freemium model kind of uh, varies uh, company by company and segment by segment. Uh, I've read that uh, you know it goes all the way from 0.5% uh, to about 8% on an average, uh, but there have been some huge disruptors to uh, that model and uh, Spotify has about I think a 27% conversion rate in the premium model and uh, Slack has about 30% conversion rate. So like they've disrupted the, the market that they are in using the premium model. So if there is an opportunity for you to uh, have uh, the premium model in your, uh, in your business plan, I think uh, that uh, can't get better than that. And then you also want to determine how you uh, how you would end up selling uh, the product that you want to build. So it could be self-service uh, into different pricing tiers or into different solution packages or the enterprise model where you have a whole sales team uh, selling it. So be cognizant of it and make uh, realistic targets based on uh, those approaches. And look at the conversion rate in your self-service plan and set up a revenue target based on that. And be iterative about your revenue target, right? Like that's one of the most important things that you want to think about. Like 
just like how we're building a product in iteration like you're not going to build all all your features in one go right like it's it's going to happen over a period of time we want to do the same thing with your revenue target like it it cannot be i i can i'm going to get like 100 million dollars the day after i uh, you know launch my product so just just be a little cognizant of it and iterate through your roi and iterate through your revenue targets similar to the way you iterate through your features and while you consider your revenue model uh, obviously take into account the cost structure that you have in place uh, there might be a lot of one time costs and recurring costs be aware of it and account for it uh, you might want to hire more people or uh, you know you might need more hardware and infrastructure so buying a hardware and uh, a piece of infrastructure could could be a one time cost but maintaining it and supporting it over a period of time could could be a recurring cost so you want to take that into account on some of the trade offs that you're making and uh, training and getting the company almost the entire company onboarded with a new product like that's expensive as well your support team uh, needs to understand how to support the product uh, if you have a sales team they need to understand how to sell the product marketing needs to pitch the product right so like there's a whole bunch of training that needs to go on for uh, your customers to adopt it uh, better so training training would become an important element as well and uh, last but not the least uh, definitely the the KPIs and the success criteria that you want to track against. So, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, definitely think about iterating over your uh, ROI targets, and uh, also think about a lot of factors that contribute into the revenue target. Right? Uh, like, for example, uh, be be cognizant of the fact that uh, you know adoption rate is actually going to be key for you to like you know increase your conversion rate. for example if 100 users adopt your product versus 1000 users adopting your product the conversion rate if it's going to remain the same like say 20% or 30% or whatever the number is going to be vastly different uh, depending on the adoption rate so think about that up front and be realistic and iterative about it and uh, i i always love quantitative numbers anything that you can quantify uh, becomes easy to measure and becomes easy to review and uh, the business model is something that you want to go back and iterate on uh, as much as you can so you want to have something that's easily measurable and uh, that you review all the time and uh, you can go back and modify it or uh, you know set better targets or you know establish more realistic numbers or even determine that you know the product's not doing as well as you thought it would uh, you know so the business model can be one of the key pieces for you to make all of these decisions and uh, evolve uh, the model as you go through this entire process right like uh, you don't you don't uh, have you can actually set iterative targets such as when i launch my mvp uh, i'm going to have about uh, 30% of my user base adopting the product in the first month uh, thereby you know uh, getting me to a revenue target of uh, x dollars and in a couple months when i release the next couple of features i'm going to have 20% more adoption and i'm going to be able to you know increase my revenue target by wide percentage or whatever uh, and also uh definitely throughout the lifetime of uh, of the product and of its usage uh 
make sure that uh, you're tracking the product usage and uh, you should you at any point of time the product manager uh, should be aware of how the users are using the product uh, what are the key features that the users are using uh, how often do they use it on a daily basis uh, what is the life uh, what is what is the user flow of a particular user who comes to uh, a particular product uh, do they actually achieve uh, the goal that you actually set them out to achieve like you know if you go back and look at your story map you would have had a particular user flow that says user starts at a and ends up at like you know um, z and uh, if the user does not go all the way to z and stops midway then uh, that's something that you want to understand uh, as to why the user ended up that way and uh, what is it that actually left the uh, user flow incomplete or did, did we solve the problem halfway through already that you know he did not have to go all the way through Z? So understanding that and iterating over that is uh, going to be key. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of uh, analytics tools out there in the market that let you do it. Uh, some of the tools that I use are um, Xpanel and uh, Google Analytics, and uh, they help me put together a good story of how users are consuming uh, my products and uh, obviously uh, I've also heard of uh, this product called Full Story that does a good job of tracking the user workflow through their lifetime. So review them often, measure them often and uh, make data driven decisions on what features are being used more, uh, what are the features you should continue to work on, continue to improve versus what are the features that probably are not receiving as much usage as you thought it would that you might want to kill them for all you know. So um, understand features you want to continue to support, understand uh, features that you want to deprecate and keep iterating on that uh, to narrow down uh, on the initial story map you started with. Uh, and even validate if uh, that makes sense uh, based on the user interaction that you've seen within your product. And uh, at the end of all of this, uh, if, if you feel that uh, the adoption rate or the revenue targets are a little amiss, to what you expected it to be. Uh, always remember to listen to your customers. Go back out there, talk to them, and uh, figure out if there's, there's a way that you can uh, do this better. And uh, if there's something that you missed through uh, the pain points that's, that's causing these, and out of 10 times, it's most probably that, and listening to your customer would just get you back on track. And uh, I would highly recommend that you do this very iteratively and in a very small and frequent feedback loop. Uh, go out there. Uh, I've, in my personal experience, I found uh, designs very helpful when uh, talking to customers. Show them a design that gets them talking, that gets them to understand the problem that you are helping them solve, uh, where they can actually give you a lot more feedback. Uh, so just go out there and talk to your customers. So now uh, to a sample framework of uh, how uh, you can actually build your business model. So we spoke about a lot of uh, interesting uh, considerations for you to make before you do build a business model. So I'm just uh, going to use that to create a simple business model to the popular alternative of uh, the lemonade stand. I'm going to call this the savvy chai truck. I want to. I live in the Bay Area and I work in San Francisco, so I'm going to set up a chai truck in uh, San Francisco. Uh, so what are things that I want to consider? Uh, I want to consider what problem that I'm trying to solve. So just being very clear uh, of my problem area, trying to provide a refreshing uh, caffeinated drink for a late afternoon pick-me-up. 
So I'm being very clear that this truck is not going to be available at any other point of day, uh, but you know, at at late afternoons, and uh, that's that's just going to be uh, the time that it's going to be available, and that's the kind of uh, uh, that's that's a time zone, or rather, that's the set of people uh, who need who need a caffeinated drink at that point of time of the day that I'm trying to cater to. And what's the value prop of having a chai truck, uh, apart from the fact that it's fantastic? <laughs> uh, this fresh chai on the go, and uh, I'm definitely going to position it as cheaper than coffee. Uh, I'm going to make it a popular alternative to coffee uh, that that could, uh, in some good coffee places, end up being expensive. So, uh, so that's that's a big prop that I just want to get out there and talk about up front. And it's a good coffee alternate. A lot of people do not like uh, the bitter taste of coffee, maybe, or just the taste of coffee. So chai is a good uh, caffeine alternate to coffee, if folks want to consider that. Uh, and who are my target customers? Uh, they're going to be uh, any uh, pedestrian uh, around the area uh, who's stopping by for coffee. So right off the bat, I'm, uh, I am excluding anyone who's driving by or uh, who's, who's on a bus or anything and just counting in all those people who are walking around the area. And uh, what's the process? I'm going to do the, I'm going to make the chai myself and actually make good chai. Be made uh, and I'm going to blend it myself. So what's my cost structure going to be like? Uh, uh, obviously, the ingredients uh, that I have to buy to make chai, uh, the milk, the spice mix, and so on. Uh, the salaries, uh, for anyone who's going to help me uh, sell my chai, uh, it's going to be a little difficult for me to like you know make it and, um, and sell it. The other option that I would have is um, you know, uh, have pre-made chai uh, in in a thermos and you know, like sell it right there. But that that beats the fresh value prop that I have, and I would uh, and I want my users to have a fresh chai experience. Uh, so I I want to you know make it on the fly and right there and have someone help me sell it. And uh, obviously the equipment to you know uh, make chai, uh, everything that I need, starting off from uh, you know foaming my milk and so on. And uh, the truck by itself and licensing it and the fuel costs that go with it, that's, that's, that's all going to add up to my cost. So I'm going to set a revenue target uh, based, on, uh, based on what I hope to achieve on day one, on, uh, on week one, week two, month one, and so on. And I'm going to continuously uh, iterate on it and review it. So um, my sources of revenue are going to be uh, price per chai, obviously, uh, as well as any tips that I would end up making on the chai. So when would I call it a success? If I do meet my revenue targets on uh, the timeframes that I've set, uh, starting from day one to week one to month one to quarter one, like I want to review how I'm doing on a very, very periodic basis. And uh, if you notice, I want to say, I've said that I want to delight customers and not have customer satisfaction. The reason being, it's a new product, it's it's a new truck out there uh, looking to compete in the market. So uh, I want to make sure that my customers have a fantastic chai experience. That number one, they actually become returning customers, and uh, number two, there's good word of mouth, uh, there are good Yelp reviews about the chai truck that I actually get more and more customers. So it actually benefits me in two ways. Uh, though it's kind of like a soft, uh, non-measurable or non-quantifiable target, uh, I do have quantifiable targets that can indirectly uh, be 
uh, impacted with a delightful customer experience, which is I get more returning customers, which means uh, I'm I'm always going to have a continuous uh, revenue stream from those returning customers, and I'm uh, and it helps me uh, achieve my revenue target, and it helps me be realistic about the revenue targets that I can set. And eventually, how does this all tie into my long-term vision? Uh, I I would love to have a quick bites of fusion food casual dining place. So Chai is a good place for me to start. And this one's going to be on the go, but uh, also helps me um, uh, offer catering services, and I can expand to you know more food truck locations. Starting off with Chai and moving on to a lot of quick bites or a casual casual sit down place. So pretty much going from a simple problem statement of what I'm trying to do all the way into how it ties into my long-term vision and strategy. And through this process, things that you want to iterate on, things that you want to like continuously improve on and measure on uh, would, would help you get a good uh, head start on, on your business model. So uh, some of the things that uh, I've used uh, for this uh, for this. Uh, presentation. Uh, I love the Harvard Business Review's uh, business models. Uh, I think they have a fantastic model and uh, a fantastic canvas. Uh, that's something that uh, everyone out there in the industry is using, and that's that's a model uh, I followed as well while building the business model. So that's something to check out. Uh, some of the tools uh, for business models are a bunch of tools that actually uh, give you the same layout. Uh, for for a standard business model and uh, Canvanizer is 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 a cool tool uh, that I liked. I've not used any of them. Uh, I generally put pen to paper to get like an initial layout and an initial set of ideas when I start building my business model. And then I tend to usually go into uh, a lot of documentation, spend a lot of time on spreadsheets, uh, understanding the revenue uh, targets and uh, coming up with the numbers. And uh, we also at uh, Sauce use AHA to you know understand uh, ideas and uh, understand how there are uh, opportunities or uh, revenue uh, uh, opportunities associated with uh, specific product features. So you know it uh, helps you get data from a lot of different places. Uh, and if you use Salesforce or uh, uh, Salesforce to you know keep keep track of. Um, your customers and uh, and everything to do with it and uh, your accounts and stuff like that uh, helps you you know understand uh, what's at stake helps you understand the importance of a particular product or a new feature idea that you have and uh, helps you tie it in into your uh, revenue targets and helps you iterate uh, planning your release on um, on how how does this a revenue impact with every release that you have and uh, how you can use it on a day to day basis. So that is all that I had. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in and listening in, and I'm going to turn it over to Jen uh, for any questions. Oh dear! Oh I dear! I have. Hang on! Hang on! And I'm echoing. And I'm echoing. Okay. test. Okay, I fixed it. Um, let me just deal with my stripes. And that was awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I like seriously want chai now. And I really hope that you do make that truck because it sounds amazing. And I hope you get to the point of quick bites and all that sort of stuff. Because I will fly out to San Francisco just for that. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. <laughs> um, all right. So 
As far as Q&A goes, um, I'm just going to kick it off here. And anyone who's watching, again, feel free to throw your questions in the chat, and I will ask them here for Savi to answer. Um, so I guess one of my first questions is around the line between product and business or who your partners might be or should be in the process of defining a model for a particular product. Like, let's say you're at a bigger company and you're responsible for a smaller product within that. Who do you work with? How do you define that? How do you sort of scope that piece of work relative to all the other sort of product work you might do? Uh, Genesis specific to uh, finding partners in the area that you want to work with, or is it in uh, in? I think more in your organization itself, like who would be your stakeholders or your partners in your organization? Like, is there, do you work with BI? Do you work with the CEO directly? Who do you generally bring generally in? Generally bring your process. Process. Um, so in, in general, I'm a big believer of the fact that uh, the product manager is at the center of the, uh, center of the entire cross-functional team. So I tend to work across the entire breadth of cross-functional teams, like across marketing, sales, sales engineering, support, customer success. And uh, a lot of times, a lot of interesting ideas have actually been pitched by uh, these folks who are out there in the field talking to customers on a daily basis. But they've brought me in on conversations, and I was like, yes, that's that's a great idea and we should go ahead and do that. So a uh, lot of ideas have sprung from that. And uh, I, I usually have my go-to people across all these organizations to uh, help me understand the problems better. I think you're muted, Jen. OK, Google was telling me that as I was talking. Like, well, if it's a pop-up, I'm ignoring it. Um, okay, so a question from Jessica Ellis. I'd love to hear more about subscription versus single serve models. Is there another way to evaluate beyond SWOT and customer interviews? Uh, about which way you want to go, about whether you want to go on uh, on an enterprise model versus a single serve, uh, like a subscription or self-service model. That's a good question. Um, that's a good question. So I would uh, definitely think about the kind of um, the kind of uh, market that you're serving to, uh, like if, if you're actually servicing to uh, single users versus uh, enterprises, and uh, how big are these enterprises, and uh, how big does uh, support turn out to be when actually supporting these kind of enterprises, and how many unique uh, customer deals that you end up having, uh, that kind of, uh, you know, uh, changes the scales uh, one way or the other. Uh, and then the other thing that I would definitely go out there and look at is uh, some of your competition or maybe even partners who are kind of dealing with similar problems in the similar space. Uh, try to learn something from their successes and failures and uh, use that to determine uh, which, which way to go. Thanks. Okay, Jessica, if you have any follow-ups to that or you want to get more specific, uh, throw it in the chat. Meanwhile, I'm going to ask um, about the subscription and single serve models, let's say subscription, actually either of them pricing is a really complicated part of it. Do you have any sort of tools that you use or, or heuristics that you use to evaluate? Like, how do you determine your sort of center price point and then the price points around it? Uh, not, not really. There's no specific uh, tool that I've used. Uh, in, the, in the past, I've actually definitely gone in and looked at a lot of uh, competitive pricing and uh, actually solution packaging uh, in, in most of the places that I've worked with. We have this uh, 
if you have this model of packaging products into solutions. So solution pricing becomes uh, very important uh, once you start building out a business model. So uh, definitely gone out there and looked at a lot of uh, vendors in the similar space, like not just you know your direct competitors or your direct partners, but looking at vendors in the similar space uh, kind of helps you understand the price point that you want to focus on. Cool. Um, do you have any sort of favorite metrics that you lean on for determining the success of, let's say, a particular business model that you went with? Like, do you sort of have, okay, I'm going with, you know, a subscription model. What are the key things I'm going to look at versus I'm going for a single serve model. What are the key things I'm going to look at? I imagine like churn and those sorts of things are involved. I'd love to hear your list, your list. Sure. Uh, so adoption rate is uh, something that I'm very, uh, very freakishly uh, obsessed with. So adoption rate, definitely. Uh, what else? Adoption rate is something. And the amount of time spent uh, in the product, that's something that I look at. So uh, adoption rate, uh, one-time users, recurring users, and the amount of time they spend in the product, uh, they've, they've all been key for me to understand how my customers are using uh, the product, definitely. And uh, I work in a B2B SaaS enterprise and uh, we have our own uh, sales here. So some of the factors that I've in the past uh, taken into account in my previous experiences is also uh, reducing churn where uh, this product line is you know part of a big solution that's that's you know uh, that could help potentially reduce churn so reducing churn percentage due to uh, an incremental product release or uh, due to a new feature within the product uh, they they've all been key uh, but but more or less um, i think uh, working towards revenue targets i think that's that's the easiest way to go about it in my opinion are there any business models you would like to experiment with but haven't had the chance to yet yet um, I think I would uh, definitely love to experiment more with the self-service model, but uh, that's not something that I've uh, that I've had the opportunity of exper uh, experimenting much more. I think you get a lot more opportunities to do that in a B2C space, uh, you know, where most products tend to be uh, self-service. Uh, I think it. Uh, I think this this it becomes more data driven and it becomes more easier to capture data in a self service model. So that's something that I would love to experiment with. Sweet. Um, you mentioned Mixpanel and Google Analytics and um, Full Story. Are I do you things? Do you uh, typically send your data to like segment or something and then send it out, or is it? Like, what's your analytics stack, I suppose, I suppose? Uh, I primarily actually go check out uh, what features within uh, the product actually are being used more. Uh, that's something that I definitely check out. Uh, and I use Mixpanel for that uh, in understanding what even triggers are actually being uh, triggered more often and how often in a particular day, like, is there a point of time uh, over a week where one particular even caught a lot of attention uh, that's that's something that I look for like if there are any trends around that uh, and uh, every time I do that I always tend to go back to Google Analytics to see how uh, how the user arrived at this particular uh, page and uh, what what was the full picture around the user flow like uh, how does he tend to uh, go off from this page where does he end does he drop off which is not a great metric like does he Go, go to the next page and, and stuff like that. So I actually tend to uh, go between the both of them uh, all the time. Nice. Um, Jessica has another question about uh, business model timing and the different 
and how different product successes have different timelines. So how do you evaluate the mix of short-term versus long-term impact? Um, so, so the long-term impact is kind of a little tougher and uh, I think it's bound to get iterator. Like uh, you can definitely, uh, it's, it's hard to say, you know, you're gonna make, you're gonna hit this revenue target within two years or three years because as the timeline increases, it's just going to get more and more and more difficult. So I would actually, uh, uh, in the past, what I've done specifically is uh, uh, when when you when you have the practice of writing PRDs, it's uh, easier to actually call out uh, features that you want included in your MVP and the target uh, market or rather the target set of users uh, you have like if you have about 100 users using your product this there's, there's a particular set of users who are going to be super thrilled about the first MVP release that you have and uh, what's what's the dollar value that you can uh, attach to those set of users and to that market segment uh, for MVP uh, that's that's I think one of the easiest and uh, call you can make and that's the first call that you should be making and uh, then you start uh, trying to follow that model for like a, about two or three releases out from there and beyond that things start getting a, uh, a little bit more and more hazy because if you decide to kind of pivot directions uh, none of those numbers hold true anymore uh, you want to recalculate your numbers so anything beyond like uh, you know two or three releases out starts getting really really hazy so so short term, short term targets, MVP targets, uh, those those are the most realistic numbers that uh, that that help you understand your targets. Yeah. Awesome, Jessica. If you have if that answered your question, um, just let me know if it didn't. Uh, if I didn't, if it was came in a bunch of pieces. So I might not have asked it correctly, to be honest. I kind of read them all together, so hopefully that covered it. Um, but Jessica, feel free to follow up. And I know there's um, a couple others of you over there in chat land. So if you have any other questions. Um, last call, and I will just ask. Oh, we got a great from Jessica that answered her question. Awesome. So if you have, yeah, if last chance to ask any questions, and uh, I know Savvy has. It's the middle of the day there in San Francisco, so she actually has to get back to work. Um, but we're super happy to have her. Thank you so much for taking the time out of the middle of your day. Um, hopefully, your chai truck will come in the near future. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. It was super fun talking about it and just, you know, putting together ideas around it um, was, was awesome coming here and talking about it. Thank you. Awesome. And if awesome. anyone, I apologize. I lost my headphones this week. Um, if anyone has follow up questions, I know a lot of people watch this in um, replay once it goes up on YouTube and on the website. If you have any questions, uh, Savi is in Slack. So if you're not in the Just Product Slack, you can uh, join. Just go to justproduct.co and you'll be able to apply for the Slack. And Savi will be there. Usually we answer and talk about the talks in the water cooler. So join us there. And if you don't already get the Just Product Weekly, we'll be announcing our next talks, I think, through September uh, shortly. So be sure to get on the email list. That's also at justproduct.co. So stay tuned and thank you to Savi. Thank you to everyone who came. Thank you to everyone who will be watching in replay and we will see you next month. Thank Bye. you. Bye.